Hey, Adam. Yes, Mike. Golden week. <laughs> it, it, now, golden week can mean many things. In my head, on top of everything that we're going to be talking about here on this podcast, golden week to me is the week that it was confirmed that the Chicago Blackhawks will have the first overall pick in the NHL entry draft. Everyone knows they'll draft Connor Bedard, and my life will be golden from here on out. Is that what you're referring to? What a set up by the National Hockey League. What a conspiracy. <laughs> and being a fan of New York teams, I mean, I I am I am shocked. I am outraged. I am I am offended that the National Hockey League could do this to try to jumpstart the second or third biggest media market in the country in the Chicago Blackhawks, one of the original six. That's what they're doing. And I, and sure. I, for one, am shocked by it, watching the Knicks get the pick to take Patrick Ewing and watching so many other things down the line. I, for one, <laughs> I, for one, cannot believe such a thing. I'm sure it was even more shocking, particularly that you had to watch that take place on an Eastern Seaboard Programming Network broadcast. That's <laughs> Yes, yes, the hub and cradle of civilization, although I, boy... You know, we talk very little about hockey anymore, and for people that have been listening to us for a long, long time here on the end of my big audio nightmare, you'll know Stick and Puck has been one of the backbones of this show. But, you know, this should have been a more fun year for me as a New York Rangers fan, considering that there were great expectations. There was a lot of young talent that if they could just get their heads together and get in play together, that things would look good. The Rangers made a lot of moves, a lot of trades. A lot of, hey, we are sacrificing a little of the future here to try to bring home a cup because we feel as though, you know, it's right there. And things should have been good, but I'm glad that my natural, you know, being my shell has been so hardened being a fan of the Rangers and being a fan of the Atlanta Falcons and being a fan of, you know, the Knicks during the 90s where, you know, I'm used to disappointment. And, and I think I was... I was shielded from everything in my brain uh, when it came to this hockey season because I could just not get into the Rangers this year like I wanted to, even when things were going well. And I'm sure it's got a lot to do with the fact that I hate the Dolan family, and it's got a lot to do with things that don't take place on the ice when it comes to that franchise. But I tell you what, just once again, watching a Rangers goalie just get eaten alive because the guys in front of them play every other game or take two games off what it felt like was just brutal absolutely brutal yeah I watched uh, a little bit of that series and it was I, I turned it on and I watched it for five minutes and it became very clear that if I had watched any more of that game or if that game had gone on for days or weeks or years it would have been the exact same thing Rangers get the zone on the wall, lose the puck, odd man rush going the other way every single time. It felt like the Brodeur era. Just you didn't yes. have, you know, there's not a reason to hate the Devils, but and also cannot be discounted that the New Jersey Devils are a really good hockey team and they were the entire season. So, you know, it's not like the Rangers taking this L was not unexpected in some circles, but the performance throughout some of those games, you know, three, was it four, you know, towards the end was just, uh, it was very disappointing. 
Yeah, it reminded me of that one Blackhawks series. Um, I guess it would have been against Nashville because the year before they got eliminated in seven by St. Louis and then they got swept by Nashville where all four games basically felt like one long version of the same game where they just couldn't score. They just couldn't get anything going. Yeah, that was uh, not great. Um, The dynamic duo of Artemi Panarin and Patrick Kane certainly didn't rekindle, unfortunately. Uh, Their chemistry from their couple of years together. I was saying enjoy those picks, by the way. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the forgotten part in a lot of this failing from New York is when people have talked about, well, because people look at the roster and go, well, what do you mean you sacrificed the future? Well, when it comes to the draft, they kind of did. Well, that's what they do, though. I mean, that's the New York well, Rangers way is yeah, <laughs> not having their first couple picks in the in the draft. But yeah, I know that like obviously the Hawks have first overall. They have whatever it'll be 19th or 20th. Uh, in the first round as well, and I guess all the talk these last few days is that they will probably package uh, several of their second rounders and that 19th or 20th pick to move up. I would imagine at least into the uh, the low teens, if not higher, uh, you know, in the in the first round as well. So we shall see on that front. Good God, that's a lot of hockey. Uh, hockey, jeez, I didn't even mean to say that. Freudian slip. <laughs> a lot of hockey. It's almost like the breakout hockey program is hey, coming. Hey, hey, barf. <laughs> <laughs> do the kids remember they wouldn't remember that it was you can't do that on television but yes you know. yes we are old uh, of, in fact why does everything sound like older. they're saying it with an o and a u because they are <laughs> i am an even older man uh, i guess we all are each time we do this podcast but i am by calendar years even older now than i was the last time we did a podcast i am officially 42 years old so Damn. go old i was 20 Let's see. It was it was March of 2006 when we started this podcast. So I was 25, 24, I guess, 24, 25 years old when we started doing this show. I am 42 now, as, as we've talked about several times with on and off the air. Nothing about my life is the same, except for the fact that every week, every couple of weeks, uh, we gather together in the digital space and do this podcast together. That's true, but I think if we pull back on all those years we've been here, if you look at, you know, if your life was a chart that Brandon Thurston was going to put up on WrestleNomics, <laughs> the arrow is pointing up right now, and it's been going that way for quite some time. It's funny, I don't know where the cross-section is with mine, but it's it's on their chart somewhere. <laughs> it's 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 moving in the right direction i think we're we're both doing pretty well so uh someone else by the way who, whose arrows point in the right direction i guess would be new japan pro wrestling as a whole if you look at what's been going on this year and particularly since we haven't done a podcast since that show wrestling dantaku happened arrow pointing as high up as it could possibly be yoda suji returning to new japan not only returning but apparently I guess you wouldn't know this if you watched the English language broadcast because they kind of didn't pick up the very heavy-handed hints of this. But Yoda Suji not only returning to New Japan, but seemingly aligned with LIJ heading into his match coming up at Dominion for the IWGP world title. Talk about making an impact on his uh, on his return from excursion, taking on Sonata uh, on June 4th for the big belt. And he might have the CMLL heavyweight championship along with that since he has Apparently. challenged Gran Guerrero in CMLL. And looking at what Lucha Blog Cubs fan had written about it initially after it happened, you know, they don't necessarily need that belt in CMLL. It's not exactly, I mean, okay, you put the title on 
on Suji and he goes and he loses to Sonata or, you know, whatever. Look, from New Japan's point of view, if you're able to go ahead and do that, that's good because it does add in now a little bit of a question. You know, yeah, Suji's coming back. Sure, he might be aligned with LIJ. We're not real sure about that or not. Naito obviously played into the fact that he is going back to Mexico to work. But if you can do that, if you're New Japan, I think it would help the story and the match just having that little caveat put on the side of Yota Suji that this is a different guy and he's got a champion's you know belt already you know of a prestigious organization that you work with and man is there going to be some drama and at the end of the day even in that case i don't think he's beating sonata but i think for the story it would be a good idea whether cmll wants to do that or not again you know that's going to be up to them it really doesn't behoove them to do that but if they don't have really any plans for that belt Sure, why not? You know, bring it over there. Even if he loses the Sonata, I mean, what's the thing that binds all of those guys in LIJ together? It's the fact that it was all born in Mexico. And it was, and the whole thing with, with Los Ingobernables has been that it started as a CMLL thing. Yeah, the, the whole deal with, with Suji and Sonata, and like you said now, the uh, the title and CMLL being in the mix... I mean, you said that you don't think Yoda Suji is going to beat Sonata, and I tend to think Sonata will win. But just given the fact that we're talking about Sonata as world champion and everything else we're seeing in New Japan right now, I'm not so sure that we're not going to see uh, Yoda Suji win. They are bucking their own trends and their own conventions as of late. And I mean, it, it certainly isn't uh, the normal way they would do things, but with how strongly Suji was brought back. I don't know. Like, if he loses here, like, if he's challenging Sonata right out of the gate and then he loses, okay, what's the next thing you do with Yoda Suji after that? Like, I, I think there is a a not insignificant chance that Suji ends up, you know, he wakes up on the morning of June 5th and he's got the title that you just mentioned from CMLL on one shoulder and he's got the IWGP World Heavyweight title on the other. It, it, it Very interesting because... If you do decide to go in that direction, okay, then immediately the knee-jerk response in the other direction is, oh, well, you just did all of this with Sonata. You got this just five guys grouped together. They're all veterans. And if Yoda Suji defeats Sonata, do you just look at that group and go, man, boy, all those guys can go in matches but they're not champions. They're not a level up. This this unit is not a level up. They're not chaos. They're not LIJ. They, they're not even TMDK, let alone United Empire, if, if Sonata loses it. And that may be too dramatic, but I think that would be the knee-jerk going in the other direction. But Yoda Suji coming back and making that kind of impact, winning the title. And, and look, even if Sonata, we look back in history, tells us that he was just a transitional champion— you know, he went through a hell of a transition to do it, and I don't think Sonata or the rest of just five guys would be left in the mud if they went ahead and did that. But it does, you do, it is, it's it's very interesting because obviously we both like Yoda Suji a lot, what we've seen of him in CMLL. We obviously like the personality. I think they kind of drew it out a little bit long with, with everything that they did with the turn on Sonata, but the bottom line is it seemed to work, and his pounding on the chest and raising the hand to lij you know right there even if he's not going to be a member of lij or if there's going to be a story behind him maybe taking some time to join you know i'm all into it yeah i mean i 
again, they, I, I don't know how explicitly they have or have, you know, said he's a member of LIJ. That that seems a bit murky, but it certainly felt between that and him him picking up Hiromu backstage and, and carrying him off. And also just when you look at what the story for LIJ has been lately, which is that, you know, they lost Sonata, they're losing big matches, um, you know, they're kind of adrift. They're changing a bit of their philosophy in that, you know, we saw in the uh, the Taichi Shingo match, we actually had LIJ members at ringside, which you usually don't see. You usually never have uh, uh, them seconding their, uh, their stable mates. So Good eye. I tend to think that not only is Suji going to be or is a member of LIJ, I think we're, you know, again, Naito's not going anywhere, but clearly the idea is that Suji is going to be a top main event guy and he is going to be the guy that long-term LIJ is going to be transitioned to as far as uh, as far as him being the leader. Uh, and you can look at what's going on with, uh, with just five guys in a couple of different ways because what's happening is they are pushing them very hard, very quickly after the group form. Sonata won the title. Uh, we've seen uh, Taichi win the KOPW provisional title. Uh, they had a very good day um, in the opening day of the Best of the Super Junior. Like, everything is going right for them. You could say, well, that's to establish them as a top group long term. Or you could say, well, they're doing all this really quickly to establish them as a top group so that when Sonata loses the belt relatively quickly, it doesn't seem... Uh, you know, as much as like you were saying, the worry would, would be that, oh, OK, well, these guys, you know, they won it, but they really can't continue to win the big one. Um, I, I yeah, just it would like... be more of a shock. And now they're offended by this. And Sonata's got to come back hard against them. Yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously you could certainly play it the other way as well, too, you know, to to keep them strong if you de- decide to go ahead with a title change. A hundred percent. And I think that's the exciting thing right now. The fact that we can talk about all this and the idea of Sonata winning, the idea of Yoda Suji winning. Really, you could make a strong argument not only for either one, but for that being the direction they would go. Um, you know, obviously, there's the, you know, Sonata against Naito for the title that's hanging out there. And it would seem weird if they wouldn't that they wouldn't do that after Sonata leaves LIJ. Um, you know, Sonata beat Naito uh, in the New Japan Cup. So that seems pretty obvious. But we're seeing there, you know, they're taking some chances. and They're not necessarily doing the obvious things. I think the one kind of the one thing more than anything to me, more than even Suji coming back, the main thing coming out of wrestling Dantaku was just a uh, a validation both of Hiromu Takahashi as a legitimate challenger in big heavyweight title matches, even if he isn't technically positioned as a heavyweight, and uh, you know really validation for Sonata being in this role. I mean, they for what was allowed to be sold. Um, you know, the, this was still one of those shows that was, uh, you know, a little bit different capacity. They used the same staging that Stardom uh, was using as well. Um, so that took up some of the seating. But for what was available, it was completely sold out and was completely sold out a couple weeks ahead of time. So I would say that's nothing else. It's a very good sign for Sonata as a main eventer. And it's a sign that, again, as we've talked about before, anytime you want to pull the trigger on Hiromu Takahashi going heavyweight, and they probably never will. But anytime you want to do that, you've got a built-in top, top guy right there. Yeah, and, and the card itself, you know, we, we, again, it's it's been too long to really get into, and there's not really much that I have to say about it other than 
ZSJ and Jeff Cobb, good use of the time limit draw between those two guys and the fact that they could take that show on the road to the States, to the UK, to Australia. You could do that one for a while if you wanted to. Well, they've got it at Dominion coming up as a rematch, just as one example. So, yeah. so you know, I, I liked the idea of doing that. Everything else was, was par. I thought David Finley, Tamatonga, you know, was I don't think the result was in doubt. I don't think the match was bad or anything like that but it was it's just, long it was 25, 25 minutes. minutes and that's the thing and the thing is you know we'll talk about some matches today that didn't feel like 25 minutes then went 25 minutes and we're going to talk about some to do and you know it's not necessarily a bad thing in this case it just felt like 25 minutes and I still need to be sold more on David Finley and I need to be sold a lot more on him yeah, I and, that match was it was fine but when I, I all I think of when I see David Finlay right now uh, as the Bullet Club leader is it's fine if it's mid card, but I am not buying him as a main eventer at all. I'm sorry. I just I don't I, I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't think he's it's so easy to compare him to the other guys that have been in that exact role in recent years or yeah. even recent months. And in the, That's in the, the yeah, like it, if he's in a world where all the guys that came before him in that role don't exist, he might be okay. But, it, you know, if the idea is David Finley is going to be on the same level um, as Jay White or Kenny Omega or AJ Styles or Prince Devitt, I just don't see it. If he's a never open weight title guy and that means that match is on fifth and a 10 match card and it's getting 12 to 15 minutes, that's fine. But anything more than that, uh, it, it to me, again, I get big Al Perez world class champion vibes. Hey, I like. Hey, come on, Al Perez. I liked Al Perez. I liked Al Perez too, but not as world champion. <laughs> it's he, to me, it's one of those things where you have to be really careful when when you are a, a top promotion to not put major titles or main event positions on guys who are good but not great and make it feel like that's just the best you can do yeah. rather than they're the best around. Because it's hard to erase. You know, it leaves yeah. a smear and you got to be careful. And with Finley, and this may be what they're doing, is because the Bullet Club, and yes, that was the semi-main event on that show, but because of these other groups, because of this other stuff that's been going on, with outside with Noah and with a lot of things, you know, bullet club probably is at its least flashiest point in new Japan history. And if they are again, they, they seem to be farming it out much more to AEW when it comes to bullet club gold now and juice and, and Jay white, you know, that's a bigger deal. Seemingly the branding of the name to be used on strong and on AEW over here in the States. And it feels like much more of that than it is over in Japan, where it does seem a little downplayed and you want to give Finley some credibility and you want to give the group some credibility the way it's structured right now. So that never open way title fits, but maybe this is exactly what they're doing until they get a new member or a, or people coming back to work in Japan that, that again, flesh the thing out more and maybe it does yeah. stay on the back burner is, is look, we've seen this with LIJ in the past where it's, they sell so much merchandise, you know, it's a little bit of a different situation, but when it gets right down to it, people like the merch, they like the people that are there, you know, for the most part, but they don't necessarily have to be at the top of the card or involved in the mix, you know, all together. So maybe that's the way it's going with BC. Hopefully so. I mean, if the idea is Bullet Club is transitioning into a, a mid card act, 
and the ideas you've got, you know, David Finlay as the leader, you've got Taiji Ishimori, you've got Clark Connors, those sorts of guys. And then, like you said, you know, the whatever the relationship is going to be between this, this Bullet Club Gold Group and AEW and actual Bullet Club, you've got, uh, you know, Ace Austin and Chris Bay representing Bullet Club and Impact. If the idea is that in Japan, Bullet Club is a mid-card group, that's great. And if yeah. that's so, then, then, then David Finlay is fine for that role. But in a new Japan that is really humming on all cylinders right now otherwise and has, you know, just five guys, TMDK, United Empire... Uh, obviously, Hontai, you've got uh, Chaos, whatever that Strong is or at this point. Strong style. Um, LIJ, as we mentioned, all these different groups. Bullet Club, and to me, that's one of the takeaways of these recent New Japan shows, these past few tours and these, these past few major shows, is that so much of it feels fresh. And then Bullet Club is just there, kind of feeling like a, a relic of the last era everything else feels really really new and that's it's not as big of an issue if they are mid card um but it's just things are so good right now with the way everyone's positioned and with these different groups and with people coming back that i just live in fear of you know by the time we get through the g1 and we get into let's say september or october that it's going to be you know bullet club back on top with david finlay as iwgp world champion okada chasing finlay just like he chased Jay White. Like, I really hope that's not the direction they're going to go. If they go in that direction, I demand Bolton Oleg to then just shred everybody. Yes, yes. I would be totally fine with that. And it's, I can't remember how much we talked about it on last week's show, but I, I, I do think it's interesting that Bolton Oleg so far, yes, he's in Young Lion matches and he's not going out there and beating Hiroshi Tanahashi or Kazuchika Okada. But for a guy who stills only had a handful of matches, they are doing something at least slightly different from in from before with him in that they're going, he's going to time limit draws with guys that are, you know, a class or two ahead of him. Um, he is in tag matches where yes, his team loses, but he's not dropping the fall. So he he's being protected as much as a guy in the Young Lions system in his first half dozen matches or so can be. I really don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> the other thing is just every time I see him, I feel like he looks like Lars Sullivan, but I know he's going well, to be stop. so much better no. and so much less problematic. <laughs> Does he not look almost exactly physically well, like Lars Sullivan when you see him in the ring? Kind of. I, I, I see what you're saying. I'll put it to you like that. I, I'm not saying as a wrestler what he does. When you see that man standing in the ring, I'm like, oh, God, it's the guy who I whose matches I usually didn't pay attention to on takeovers when everything else was good. This guy will be better. Well, you know, he had other uh, videos that were posted that you probably shouldn't have paid any attention to either. But that's hopefully the last we ever speak of that man. Uh, that, but now everybody will, now anyway. is they're going to hate you for this because now they're going to see Bolton Oleg and think of Lars Sullivan. <laughs> well, that's that's <laughs> my goal to ruin people's wrestling experiences. <laughs> that's Again, right. like I like I was saying though, I'm more of an Evad Sullivan guy. Well, exactly. <laughs> oh man! Oh, By the man. way, quick cheap plug for wrestling at random. We did a show recently. We've we've been recording a bunch of them, so I can't remember if it's one of them that already went up or is going to be going up soon. But we did a show where no, I guess it would have been the one that went up in the bonus feed a few weeks ago. An episode of uh, NWA World Championship Wrestling from 1987, 
where like the horsemen are down a guy after kicking out Ole Anderson. And so Arn Anderson is going to team with Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan does a promo. This is leading into the Crockett Cup 1987. Kevin Sullivan does a promo talking about teaming with, with uh, Arn. And then at the end of the promo, he references he, meaning Kevin Sullivan, has a brother who is in a mental institution. And I lost my mind. I had no idea. We had hints of Evad Sullivan all the way back in 1987. I love it. I love it. It's awesome. Long-term oh booking, even if they didn't mean to. <laughs> hey, I got one for you. Did you know Crusher Khrushchev, of all of the names that Barry Darso had, did you know he was a Mongolian? I don't think I did. I remember when he was hole-in-one Barry Darso on WCW Saturday Night. Or one of his uh, spots representing Run DMC in the MTV Challenge that that took place. Because, you know, they're the originators, and I just the whole promo and everything behind that. The WCW wow. Worldwide Twitter account is, is where you need to go for, for some of that stuff. But I was... Because uh, much like you, I will plug quickly the Mid-Atlantic Championship podcast, and I do not have the edition of March 5th, 1983 that's not available on the network. I don't have a DVD of it uh, from its original VHS, so I was going to skip the week, and then I decided, you know what, let me do a a little look and take a a tour around the territories. And, of course, because I have OCD, this has become a now monstrous thing uh, that I'm going to put up on the Patreon first, uh, patreon.com slash midatlanticpodcast. But I was going through everything that took place the weekend of March uh, 5th, 1983, which included On the Mat from New Zealand, where we get Barry Darso and another dude from Minnesota as Mongols, where they actually wrestled uh, not only in New Zealand, but also in Hawaii uh, for for Polynesian pros. So you can tack on another name to the never ending list uh, of gimmicks for Barry Darso. Yeah, and it, their names it is. Were, it were like Zor and Gar, and I'm not sure if he was Zor <laughs> or Gar. But yeah, apparently they're they're not the Zoltans; they're the 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 Mongols. It's a shame that they were not managed by Terry Gar, and she couldn't have been their sister. <laughs> couldn't have been Gar's sister, at least, or if they could have had a Garfield tie-in. Well, that, or they could have just changed changed the the team name to Gar. Yeah, <laughs> I like Garzor as a team. I think that's a good name. Um, uh, outside of that, going back to going is anybody to, still listening probably not that's <laughs> totally fine going back to new japan as far as the dominion coming up on june 4th uh four matches officially announced at least as best i can tell zsj against jeff cobb for the tv title rematches we talked about united empire represented by aussie open aussie open defending the iwgp tag titles in a three-way against bishamon and house of torture you can't have everything you want. There's got to be something that you don't want. And that By the way, is that what did you fair. think about Fletcher showing up on AEW TV? Fletcher's all over the place. Fletcher had a match on uh, on Ring of Honor last night. Um, yeah, he's a... He got tired of Mark Davis taking all the shine for the singles match. Like, I need yes. a cash wheeler here. <laughs> you need to give me something out of this. Oh, wow. That was a... a well, you know what I mean. That's... You can at least call him the Marty Jannetty. My oh. God. But yes, I, I was excited to see that. I'll never, uh, never Fletcher in the fountain. <laughs> Nowhere to, no idea where to go after that. But uh, I'll say, I'll say this: I was much happier to see Kyle Fletcher than I would have been to see Yujiro Takahashi on AEW. So hopefully we uh, we keep it that way. 
Um, keep that forbidden door closed when it comes to the House of Torture. Uh, we also have the IWGP U.S. Title Contendership Tournament Final uh, on June 4th at Dominion, as it will be Lance Archer against the winner of Tanahashi and Osprey. So it will be Lance Archer against Osprey. Osprey will win here and obviously go on to challenge Kenny Omega at Forbidden Door, not at All in London. Much to the dismay of one Big Dave, I'm sure. I've heard Will Ospreay is a huge ratings mover in the UK. I I heard that this morning on Twitter, but uh, I uh, I heard that on a radio show, and I uh, I think I made a noise that sounded someone like something like Gar. <laughs> we'll see what condition both of those guys are in. We just saw Tanahashi be uh, Okada's partner, and they you know they made that announcement. I assume that they were leaving that one kind of vacant for a while which led into Dentaku because Tanahashi's rib but they went ahead and announced that so I you know assume he's all fine and we'll see if Will Ospreay is but uh you know even if you you do the match at Forbidden Door you could still do it at all in if you wanted as well too again it's you're playing with free money right now when it comes to you know thoughts on what you could do with the all in card but it's hard to believe that you know, we're not going to have New Japan participation in it. Shingo and Osprey has been made for that weekend over there in the UK. Yeah, for Rev so, Pro, yep. Yeah, we know Shingo's going to be there. We know other names will surely be there because it is a Rev Pro show and because New Japan does have the relationship. So, you know, it's just it's going to be really interesting, again, to see how, how many matches end up on that card and how many people from outside of AEW proper we end up getting. Yeah, it's also funny to me how everyone's like, well, the whole all-in brand is based on guys from all different promotions wrestling each other. It was one show four years ago, five years ago, however long When there were no options, so everybody did come from a different promotion. Exactly. They had to come from outside because the show wasn't one promotion. It was a show of everyone coming together and doing a show. Like, people act like... There's some, like, Starcade-level lineage to all in. Like, get out of your head, Cannon, and deal with reality. Jesus. Well, yeah, and look, you just need, you need specific matches for specific reasons, and that's what people don't like either when they, because it's too WWE. Well, here's the deal. You need something that's going to pop the local crowd. You need something you're going to want to sell. There's a whole lot of reasons why you slot things, and it's not just a extreme warfare revenge or whatever the you know the gimmick is now tnm to go ahead and just slap a bunch of dream matches on the card they also have all out the week after so like you know we don't know how this stuff is going to be you know what how it's going to be sold how it's going to be packaged will be on max streaming will max streaming be up at that point is it just you know again how does this thing go and then what do you do the next week exactly so again there's a lot at play here but it's good for AEW and it's good for new japan it's potentially good for stardom and tokyo joshi pro and ddt as well too if again they do have some level of international participation they have x amount of spots for what could be a 12 match show yeah yeah and i guess there's also a curfew at wembley stadium so that's yeah there is no there definitely is so that will be you know that will be an issue potentially uh potentially as well uh, and then obviously going back to dominion the main event announces we talked about sonata versus yoda suji um you know so as far as like non-tournament stuff that's the next big show in japan for new japan They've got the show coming up on the 21st next weekend as we record this. 
um, Resurgence, which is still only half sold with John Moxley on the card. Uh, Tanahashi against Osprey, as we mentioned, uh, to go on to Dominion uh, and challenge uh, for the final of the U.S. title contendership tournament. And also uh, that wacky four-person uh, tournament to, for some reason, crown the New Japan Strong Women's Championship, which, uh, as we, as I talked about, Mike, I'm sure you heard in that little thing I tacked out at the beginning of the show, like the second we stopped recording <laughs> and, and had gone our separate ways and could not come back together, that announcement was made. So I tacked that on to the beginning of last week's show. But yeah, just a, a strange deal there when you look at Another the conspiracy, IW... the timing on that. <laughs> yes. Uh, but the IWGP Women's Championship was ostensibly created primarily to have a title that could, yes, be defended on New Japan shows, major New Japan shows in Japan, but more so be defended on U.S. shows for New Japan and maybe someday stardom as well. And then... I like how I... Dave wrote in The Observer that like it was for like Nakano was going to win it first not Kyrie, and she was like, nah, you're not paying me enough to go to the States for as many times as you want me to go. And then I think they that end was up, Mayu that was that Or was Mayu, story. yeah. Then uh, they yeah. end up making the money right. Now they're not bringing the title over here. <laughs> so ridiculous. And so now we're going to have a New Japan Strong Women's Championship, which I can't fathom is not being created for mercedes Monet to have, because otherwise, what the hell is the point of this? Um, what is the point of her having that title? I mean, to, let's be honest here. She's not cheap to book. I don't see her working enough. Str- like, I don't see her showing up at the 2300. I mean, maybe that, but like, I, I just, again, then is the belt just in ether? I mean, if she's got it and you're walking around, it's like, well, what's she walking around with it for? Well, it's an advertisement. Well, for what? For NJPW Strong. Like, what? <laughs> you know, on, on well, her for the money you're paying? Got- Everybody's got to have a belt in New Japan right now. I mean, I I get it because they they want to have title matches on big shows. And you look at you know they had the show on the twenty seventh, the show on the 29th, You had the title matches. It would be better off on Willow because you're not again. She's not making Mercedes money, and Willow can wrestle a bunch of different people and show up with that belt in different places, can't she? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean I, I, I'm not trying to be opposed to it. I just I I can't. I just can't fathom them doing this for any other reason other than putting it on Mercedes Monet, even if there isn't an actual good reason to <laughs> that's, do that. That's yeah, that's the whole thing. Is that you're exactly right, but it's then trying to really you know extrapolate in my mind on why why is this happening? It's like it's, again, this is a lot in the same way the New Blood t- the titles are in, in stardom, and people can give me the case as to why this is should be and isn't. No, it's not. I'm sorry. I just, I, to me, it waters yeah. things down too much. Because, it's, again, it's just, it's too many belts. And I came from an era of, like, boy, there's a national title, the Mid-Atlantic title, the Central States title. Western States Heritage Championship. Yeah, but then you realize that sometimes people are right. Less is more in some cases. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, on, on the New Blood side, I don't mind it as much just because my sense is that, like, those shows... There, there's some sponsorship behind those shows. You see that the Fiberplex or now yeah. the NFT stuff on there. There's some sponsorship behind those shows. There's got to be some money behind those shows to get every single one of those live streamed either on YouTube or the occasional pay-per-view. And so I, I would imagine maybe and, it's a scenario where, you know, you're you're keeping those people happy by creating titles and making, you know, 
making those shows more than just kind of one-off things. Well, and that's um, good too, because they have so many young women. Again, they have such a young roster and they have so many people on there where like, again, this is a bad example, but for the most part in the universe of WWE and NXT, there's no real crossover when it comes to those championships. And that's kind of the same way that it is between the new blood shows and stardom again with stardom proper with so many belts. Yeah, and the idea with New Blood, in theory at least, is that, you know, you've got your stardom wrestlers, but you also have wrestlers from the outside. I mean, you see that with the tag belts being held by Starlight Kid and Karma, also, uh, you know, Haruka uh, Umasaki. And so, you know, there's at least a little bit more of a delineation of, like, what's happening and why. Um, But, yeah, in New Japan, like, obviously with the caveat, like we said, if they want a ton of titles because they want to be able to have title matches on every show that's even quasi-important. But, like... Gun to my head, most days, if you were to tell me is, um, like, what's the difference at this point between the never open weight title and the strong open weight title? Or, like, when this show was over, if you were going to ask me, did Hikaleo win the never title from Kenta or the strong open weight title? I would have actually had to think for a second. Yeah. Uh, which was which. It's completely unnecessary now that, like, strong really isn't a thing. You just have these major shows where, you know, they're, they're pay-per-views and they get broken up into strong on demand. But, I mean, do we really need a U.S. title, a never title, a strong title, and a TV title? The TV title is the one of those that actually serves a purpose. You could argue the U.S. title serves a purpose of being what the Intercontinental title was. Uh, and then the never openweight title and the strong title, they just exist so that you can say, on this show, we have three title matches instead of five, or we have two title matches instead of zero. Like they're just, you know, that's kind of, that's yeah, my that's take on it. When I see Hikaleo win that match and win that title, it doesn't feel like, oh, Hikaleo finally broke through and won a title. It just feels like, oh, he got the seventh most important single title in the company. Who cares? Yeah. Unfortunately to me, that's the case. Because again, you know, filthy during the pandemic, everything that happened with it, there was some shine on it. Yes. But I think if you did ask people cold now and go, who is it? You know, would they say Fred Ross or who would they say? Would they say Kenta? Would they still say Filthy? You know, the the tag titles are on the the waist of the IWGP Tag Team Champions. Sure. Could they lose those on a show since they're here and in the UK all the time where you lose those and you use that to build to a match with the IWGP? Sure, I guess you could. But when you're treating those belts like that and then all of a sudden going, hey, we got this one because... Money, <laughs> you know, yeah. it just, I don't know to me, especially when it's not, we could, it's a, it's a story for another day on how much American companies understand Japanese fans and the Japanese market. And then vice versa in this case, where if you want to make it mean something like you did at first with the new Japan strong title, okay, fine. But if you're not going to do that, we are completely satisfied, most of us, to me, as New Japan fans, as wanting the original formula and the real thing in those titles. And if you're not going to have a title match on the show, okay, fine, I can live with that, as opposed to you just making up titles because you want to have a title match on the show. 100%. I think back to the one and only show New Japan has done in Chicago because, again, it's so hard to find a building in Chicago. (laughs) Um, but yes, you had Will Ospreay. There's, there's Jimmy Cicero Stadium is there. Yeah, yeah. There, ugh, God, don't even get me started on. Yeah, I just went to a, an Impact Wrestling show at Cicero Stadium, which was sold out. Looked beautiful the way they lit it for TV. But New Japan can't find a building. Is the Odium burned down? What happened? Yes, 
the Odium was the last event ever. The Odium was the New Japan show, and it got torn down a few weeks after. And apparently, that's the only building what that was, they could possibly run. What's the spiritual replacement of that? Like, what building there for concerts? And so, like, what? What? I mean, the Odium taking... wasn't a concert venue. I mean, the Odium was out in Villa Park. But it I was... mean, what was? But what? What? Where have those events gone to? Like, what has been taking that business where it's like, okay, we can sacrifice this? I mean, it's. Fu- in Chicago, there's nine trillion places. It's like well, exactly. I, I there's, don't get there's, that. there's 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 smaller college arenas that would be perfect. Um, there's you know again GCW is running Thalia Hall, which you could probably get about. It's granted it's it's not two or three thousand people, but they're struggling to get that many people anyway. And if you're, if you're telling me that you could run the twenty eight hundred arena and you can do which holds less than a thousand people and you can do the all-star junior festival there you're telling me you can't find a building to run in chicago where you sold like three or four thousand tickets without anything major announced like they they sold they sold that building out for all intents and purposes with just suzuki and ishii that was before moxley and osprey was announced so sorry just Really annoyed about that. Well, and I'm not, um, you know, I was born in Chicago and we moved when I was very young. So I don't know everything about everything. And I know the Wind Trust takes bigger events, but like, if I'm not mistaken, DePaul's still there, right? DePaul like, has an arena. Loyola has an arena that holds like 3,000 yeah, people. I mean, that, well, that's the and, thing. The Sullivan holds 3,000 for DePaul. So it's like, I don't there's know. There's a million there's options. A, there's yeah. UIC Pavilion. There's UIC Forum. And they're not terrible neighborhoods? No. And again, like, the whole argument to me of, oh, well, it's too big of a building, that all goes away when you just ran D.C. and put, like, 1,800 people in an 8,000-seat building. So you clearly don't care about, like, not On about- Cherry Blossom Festival weekend. I yes. can't, and I don't know if we said that on the air we or not. Did. but Okay, because it's just, like, the whole... <laughs> Thing around how that was promoted and how it got to that again i'm i'm disappointed for a lot of different reasons and how that one went down yeah that was yeah it, it, there's oh it's just frustrating because there's just there's just stuff hanging out there that would be so easy for them to do whether it be like you said promoting that more in dc or finding a way to come back to chicago where they did a great crowd for a show that was good but not blow away and they've just been like, well, the one building we ran 40 miles out of the city got torn down, so we can't run Chicago anymore, um, regardless of any of yeah, that. There's I, no wrestling fans there anyway. That, well, no, exactly. Um, they need a they, second coming is what they need. It's, apparently so. Apparently <laughs> so. Um, regardless of all that, go back to New Japan. We'll just talk about this briefly because I know you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, and that's fine because it basically ended like minutes ago, <laughs> basically. Um, but the best of the super junior tournament got started today at Cork and hall, 1400 fans. It was jam packed and vocal, uh, maybe the most pre pandemic type of crowd I've heard for a new Japan show. And it was an awesome start to the tournament. Nothing went longer than 17 minutes, a function of 10 match cards. You're doing both blocks. Most, if not all nights, uh, main event speedball, Mike Bailey defeating Hiromu Takahashi, Total showcase for Mike Bailey. The crowd loved him, went crazy for all his stuff. Uh, great way to establish him, uh, getting the win over Hiromu. Uh, Kanemaru and Desperado was great. Uh, Robbie Eagles and Yo was really good, particularly the last few minutes of that. Doki and Kushida, eight and a half minutes. Great stuff. Pinning combinations, reversals. Doki getting the win on Kushida. Solid debut for Dan Maloney. Uh, fun four-minute match between Ishimori and Ryusuke Taguchi. 
where uh, Taguchi's trying to play it straight, uh, I guess, is the idea for this tournament. But he loses in four minutes, so I'm sure at some point he's going to not only lose, but lose it and probably lose his trunks and go back to the Taguchi that we all know and have to sit through matches of oh, in 2023. Tolerate. Tolerate. I, uh, I just, I just I love Taguchi as a wrestler, and I just hate having to sit through all that over and over and over again. It just gets more and more ridiculous. Needs and to bring back the rugby that. coach gimmick. Yes, anything other than uh, than he's, the trunks down. Like Roger on American Dad, the the alien with the Paul Lind voice. Like you know, it's just yeah, we need more variety if you're going to do this to Gucci. <laughs> yeah, so really good start to the tournament, and it's actually I'm not sure how it stay how long it stays free, but at least as of today, it was a free show. So if you aren't a New Japan World subscriber, yeah. you can go up to New Japan World and watch the show for free with English commentary. Great way to start the tournament. A crazy schedule for the best of the Super junior everybody's basically wrestling 12 matches 12 or whatever it is it's 12 shows in 16 nights so everyone's doing i guess they're all doing nine matches i don't know how this math works <laughs> they're doing a ton of matches in a really short amount of time uh it will be fascinating to see you look at the start of the tournament towards the end how many of these guys break down and what shape these guys are in throughout the night or throughout the tournament because even though these are shorter matches they're high impact stuff and that's just asking a lot uh, to wrestle that many singles matches. I guess other than Mike, for speedball Mike Bailey, who's used to wrestling five matches in one day. Yeah, really. Now, they didn't, you know, they had the blocks, and we kind of knew the dates, but when they laid out the schedule after Dantaku with everything listed, it, it really kind of stuck out how much these guys are doing in such a short period of time. But, boy, do they have some athletes that could do it. And I was recording the wrestling news this morning, and the fact that it was free – a new Japan world had a lot more people out there tweeting about it. And it was driving me nuts. Cause it's like, I know I'm not going to have a chance to, to watch <laughs> anything and they're checking off. And it's like Doki and Kushida was good. Connors and Knight was good. Leo and show was good. Eagles and yo was, and it's just like, uh, and then it's Teton and, and just as they're clicking off and then Bailey and Aroma was like, uh, all right. So, you know, that's one thing I'm definitely doing tonight. Uh, as we record this on Friday is, is making sure that I stay up with this because last year's best of the super junior was great because it was such a fresh burst of air after the pandemic and all the staleness that was going on. And this one, again, the lineup was great. Everything they've done with the all-star junior festival, the announcement of the one in the States, you know, everything it's been a good year for junior heavyweight wrestling. Even if you think that Hiromu's a boring, you know, pat hand play as the IWGP champion. When you look past that and you see again, rush and Eagles, they're just, it's so deep. And when you get a chance to see these guys go at it, like they're doing now in the super juniors, you know, to me, I'm keeping up with it. Yeah, no, it's and with cheering crowds for the first time across the yeah. board in several years for this tournament. If uh, obviously Corkin is Corkin, but if that's any indication, both from in ring and from crowd response, uh, it will, as you said, definitely be worth keeping up with. As difficult as that will be with the aggressive schedule, uh, something that is always worth keeping up with, and it's something we keep up with uh, uh, very closely here on this podcast, as you know, is stardom. And we do have to go back. We don't have to run down the whole card, um, but we did have three title matches uh, last week on the 4th at, in Fukuoka, same building as New Japan ran one day earlier. Uh, nowhere near as large of a crowd, but it was Stardom's biggest crowd ever in Fukuoka, just under 1,400 fans, headlined by 
a great match. I thought this was awesome. I'm surprised it hasn't gotten more talk. I thought this was right up there uh, on the same level as the best matches from All-Star Grand Queendom a couple of weeks prior. Mina Shirakawa defeating Natsupoi in 20 minutes, 27 seconds. Uh, the figure four driver for Mina Shirakawa getting the win over Natsupoi. It's basically a cross-legged version uh, of, I don't know, a key crusher, for lack of a better term. I thought Shirakawa was very good in this match. I thought Natsupoi was absolutely incredible. I thought she had maybe the best performance of her career to the point to where she was so fired up and so good in this match that I started to believe, well, she's got to be winning. She had to be told right before this match, you're winning the title because I just couldn't believe, like, she's always very good. But she was on a complete other level just in terms of intensity, selling, all of it. I thought this was great. You know I have memory problems, so I probably shouldn't do this, but I this may have been the best Mina Shirakawa and Natsupoi match, or at least my favorite match that they've ever been in. I, I think, wrote down the same thing in my notes. I'm looking back in my phone at my, my Apple notes, and yes, that I, I thought the same thing. And I'll start with Natsupoi because I'm not as big of a fan of her as you are and that a lot of people are. I'm more So you're telling me that you're wrong. Exa- well yeah, I do. I remember <laughs> I'm like this with Starlight Kid as well too. And I look I I will always stand down when you got people that love uh, you know Hannah Kimura, to a lesser degree, you know, was like this. There are a lot of people that people just, they love them, and I'm not completely sold. And I think with Natsupoi, I've talked about it. There's a lot of hysterics, the crying, all that sort of stuff. And it's just, there's something. She just doesn't jive with me like others have. But with that said, this match, from the time it started, was laid out pretty perfectly. Right from Jump Street. With Mina coming out there and Natsupoi just slaps the living hell out of her right across the face. It sounded great. I'm sure it hurt like hell. And she just glared at Mina. And that's how it started. And Natsupoi jumped out early. Mina came back. And then it was a lot of back and forth. It was... I can't... There is not one nit to pick to me in this match other than because they've changed a title on the count out. I now hate it when they get to 17. It did. It, it accomplished its goal. I think Makes it can worried. happen. I don't like it. You know, I don't like it at all, but I thought Natsupoy is fabulous. I thought the collapse, you know, then she, of course she is crying at the end of the press conference afterwards, the collapse that happened there. But you know, I know there's some people that are not as high as on Mina Shirakawa where people go, well, you know what, she's overrated because of her looks, or that's why they're you guys... also wrong. And that's the thing is she has come along great and obviously Natsupoy, you know, shares equal billing and how this match went and whoever laid it out and Rossi and whatever. Everybody deserves a hand in this, but Mina Shirakawa went from wow, look at that sexy girl, she's fun with Unagi Sayaka to being somebody that if she continues to come uh, the way she has in the ring and she continues to build on what she's good at, like, and learn some new tricks along the way, like, the only thing that's hurting her right now is experience and working with people much, much better than her. Like, she, I can't believe I'm saying this, from what I thought about her two years ago, like, she's a star. 
Like she oh. could actually be like how we talk about Utami and 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 Tam and Mayu and Julia and you know that level. Like I'm now starting to believe like she can carry it. Like because again, it's how she carried herself in the match. There were a lot of just little things where it was like. This is the best these two have ever looked. I think it was great. Well, and, and to your point, like she she's getting to a level now where it's not just well she's the underdog. She like she is very good, you know, with the leg base offense, the figure four, the dragon yeah. screws, all of it. She is very good at leading and controlling a match and a main event match like this. The other thought that I had, and it can kind of use this as a quick jumping off point to talk about another big piece of breaking news over the past few days in Japan. When I watch this. Not only, like you said, like think of Mina Shirakawa a couple of years ago, you know, with Unagi Sayaka, you know, as as sort of, you know, the first Cosmic Angels members under Tam Nakano. Go back a little bit further. Think of Mina Shirakawa and a pre-Natsupoi Natsumi Maki in Tokyo Joshi Pro as complete afterthoughts. People who are undercard, mid-card, even in Tokyo Joshi Pro, which does not have the depth anywhere near that that Sardom has right now. They were nowhere near legitimately uh, the you know the top title scene in Tokyo Joshi Pro, and think about where they are now. It is crazy that a company like Tokyo Joshi Pro had two people with the potential to be this level, and then you throw in Mirai, who is in the semi-main event team with Ami Sore, who's an absolute star now and becoming one of the best wrestlers in the world. That all those three were there, just existing. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting backdrop to think of uh, Yuka Sakazaki, who is uh, apparently has announced that she will be leaving Tokyo Joshi Pro uh, at the end of 2023 to focus on wrestling full time in the United States. You know, I think about Yuka Sakazaki. I think about Miyu Yamashita, who is wrestling in the U.S. and Europe, uh, you know, over the course of this spring into the summer. I would imagine she's probably not too far off leaving as well. And then I look at kind of the next layer of people, uh, you know, whether um, it be Hikari Noah or, you know, younger than that, you know, Suzume, Arisu Endo in Tokyo Joshi Pro that you think of like at some point they've got to break through and be main eventers. Maybe now finally with Yuka Sakazaki leaving, if we're seeing less and less of Miyu Yamashita, there'll be room for that next generation to break through and actually become top wrestlers in Tokyo Joshi Pro like they weren't able to before. Well, they better um, be. What else are you doing then? Well, exactly. And I, I'm not saying – I don't want people to misconstrue. I'm saying, like, I think Yuka Sakazaki was holding these people back. But I just look at it, and I think it's ridiculous that Tokyo Joshi Pro had three legit main event-level stars in their midst – did nothing to develop them, did nothing to move them up to the main event scene. They went to stardom, and in relatively short order, in different ways, all three of them have been, become top, legit, main event-level stars. But to be fair, the, 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 I will... They and you you are better at this than I am as far as, you know, calling back on the memory of this, but it's not like these women that we know of them right now in stardom, and we've seen how they were built up in stardom. It's not... You know, the, again, it's been a long time since they were there, really. You know, it's kind of been like dog years for what they've been able to experience in stardom. So I, I, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's necessarily fair well, because, I mean, TJP has hit. I'm not saying more times than stardom has. Certainly not. But they have hit with 
several several women, not the least of which were Yamashita and in in Saka and again, and they are the to me the two best of that bunch, but they have had others as well too. They did hit, but how long ago was that? When was the last time someone that truly came through their system got elevated into you know the the real main event level scene? And yes, I'll, I'll grant you the point with Mina Shirakawa. I don't think anyone saw this coming, but I think with with Mirai and with Natsupoi, even though they were not very heavily featured, you could have watched them in the ring. I mean, hell, go back to my Twitter account, and you'll see me talking about like how good both of them were and how like. They needed to be in an environment where they could get better um, and, and sort of be elevated to the stars that they've become. Um, I don't know. I just I look at Tokyo Joshi Pro and I look at a company that has some depth but not much, and you've got young wrestlers coming through that have promise. And it's like, why do we have to have this glacial pace of like development or push for? You know, for Suzume, who will eventually get there, but she still, you know, she didn't win a title again. Or, like, Arisu Endo, like, I watch them, and I look at them just kind of almost in the same spot that they've been in. Well, if maybe ask... get a little bit along the way and just think, like, how long is it going to take for them either to get pushed or decide, like, okay, maybe I want to do what other people have done and leave and, and become a better and bigger star somewhere else. If you asked most people who the princess of princesses was... You think more people would say Maki Ito than Mizuki? I think at this point, for sure. I mean, I if, yeah. And I, I hate to say, say that, but and here's the thing, dude. I like the fact that TJP, because obviously I like seeing, you know, everybody get their chance in Japan and to go over there. We've had, you know, Billy Starks, and we've had Willow Nightingale, and we've had Max the Impaler, and we've had, you know, there's been plenty of women that have gone over there, and I do like that. That's the same thing with DDT. I like seeing some people get chances that wouldn't get a chance to be brought over to a New Japan or a NOAA or whatever, but, like, they they did not take any of the... DDT or TJPW, in my opinion, take any of what they got out of WrestleMania weekend and been able to parlay that. And I think when I look at the results, and again, I'm not there watching every single show or anything like that, but it's like, you know, when I look at the results, how there are a lot of, again, what are you doing to make your, again, who, you know, can you make Mizuki Yuka Sakazaki? Can you make somebody Maki? And there is going to be the question on, can you replace those women? Because right now you haven't as far as, you know, getting some shine on them. And yes, yes, stardom is, is sucking all of the energy out of the room right now and all of the air out of the room. But that provides you a chance to, like, build something. And I guess we'll see if they will. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. It's just, it's interesting to follow. And it's almost like the flip side of what we talked about last week about how structurally Tokyo Joshi Pro is in a, a better situation to send people over the U.S. because they don't run as many shows so their wrestlers can become bigger stars. But I guess the flip side of that is, well, if they come become bigger stars here, they might just want to stay, particularly if, you know, there isn't a whole lot less, a whole lot else left for at, them to do in the company. Point, at some point they need to form like Voltron and I still hold to that. And I know Noah is the biggest issue to that, but there has got to be a way to assimilate all into one umbrella and do a better job pumping all of those promotions out there. In, in on the cyber opinion. fight side, on, on the cyber fight side. Yeah. And I, no, 
it would be the bold thing to do, and we've talked about it, geez, since the whole cyber fight uh, thing formed, really. Um, it's like, and I know people say in it, for a million reasons, well, it's never going to happen. DDT's got their own audience. So good, yeah. Joshi Pro's got their own audience. Noah's got their own audience. They've got their own whatever. And yes, functionally, you're right. And so, yes, it'll probably never happen. But when you look at how small each of those audiences are and how much really none of those companies are growing no matter what they do. And when you look at, you know, and the, and the sponsors and the big players that are, you know, you're, you're relying on, you're relying on very few when you're at that level and that size. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. And we know from, from the filings on the, you know, the cyber agent side that it's not like cyber fight is a positive thing cash flow wise <laughs> yeah. for the company. Like you just wonder if at some point kind of what people think isn't possible would never happen, will happen. And we'll see some sort of merging of the promotions. It's like we talked about for 17 years on this show. When you think about, well, oh, like zero one is zero one and big Japan is big Japan and all Japan. It's all Japan. But man, like, if you put all those companies together and you put like the top five or 10 guys from each of those companies together, you'd really have something like it feels that way with Cyberfight um, with the three promotions. Um, it'll never happen. But yeah, I mean, when I look at any of these major cards that they did, whether it's DDT, Noah or Tokyo Joshi Pro uh, over the course of Golden Week and you look at what they drew or you look at what was on the card? You can't tell me you wouldn't have one overall better promotion than the three promotions if they were all put together. It won't happen, but we can we can daydream about it. Yeah, and again, we should really do a show kind of on more of those types of of, of things one day. But obviously, it's we've spent too long on it now. You know, a and state I, of the scene type of show. Yeah, and I, I don't want to maintain the black cloud, but I do want to say a a couple of things out of this Stardom show because. Again, the main event was was fabulous, but the Goddess of Stardom tag titles, uh, the New Era's Fukuoka Double Crazy match. Um, I tell you what, I would love to see uh, Hazuki and Ami Sorhei more. That is for sure. They were the half of this match that I thought was excellent. You know, they they spent way too much time on the outside at first just to tease the countout. You know, which frankly didn't get much reaction, and surprisingly, you know, actually, coming off of the big show in the finish they did, I thought it was all building to that, and then yeah, their action was was kind of tepid. Well, they're because I and I don't think they're buying. I mean, people don't buy Mariah and Amisori right now either, because you know the the last few minutes were longer than they should have been, felt longer than they should have been. And the cloud was clapping you know, for the lead up to the finish. And then, you know, as soon as the referee's hand hit three, you know, they were back to being silent again. So they got a, you know, there was the challenge afterwards that took place, you know, with, um, with Natsuka Tora and, um, why am I brain? And Momo, and Momo, and Momo. And that's cool. And it's going to be a good match. And Momo, you know, is going to be, you know, they're going to be crazy and that's great. But like, I, maybe they, Maybe they did make a mistake with Seven Up, and maybe they did make a mistake with how they teased, you know, th that belt. And what I would also say is I was also disappointed with Maceira and Azumi, which really it didn't click to it was me awesome. at first, especially early. And I think that was, you know, there was some hesitation from Sarah, and they were just they weren't perfectly on the same page together. And, and also, what I'm saying right now, hindsight is twenty twenty. Because 
the stuff on the ground was so much better. And that's the way it ended with Azumi with the numero uno and not being able to Sierra just finally couldn't reverse enough and she got trapped and and she had to to tap or verbally tap because her arms were you know twisted up I probably in hindsight would have not done so much and I know it's the high speed title I would have done more high speed on the ground with how it turned out than what I would have done in the air and I will say something else about the air Sierra missing the drop kick off the apron so early in the match and she landed like a thud and I want to say that there was no reaction, but there was not enough for her to do that. And I knew she was going to go and hit it later in the match. And she did. And the landing was still rough. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know about that one. Probably wrong place, wrong time for big move like that. It's a painful move. I I would recommend anyone that do it, have like the best knee pads and elbow pads possible. Um, I thought this, I, I like this a lot more than you did. I, I just thought it was the, the pace was insane. The near falls. You mentioned a couple of the uh, the crazy bumps. I'm really excited to see once May Sarah gets a couple tours under her belt, uh, of which there were matches that have not yet. Uh, I assume they'll be going up soon, or maybe they've just gone up on uh, Stardom World, but a lot of tag matches, high-speed tag matches she was involved in leading up to this and after this. I thought it was great, but I think there is an even better match between the two of them. You know, a couple months down the line when May Sarah is not only uh, more incorporated and more comfortable, you know, wrestling the stardom roster, but just more comfortable wrestling in the ring again. I mean, she was out for, you know, what, a year and a half uh, before coming back just a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was great. And I thought, uh, again, you'll be shocked. People will be shocked. It used to be a drinking game to say I thought Mariah had a great performance. And I thought Mariah... <laughs> Uh, on the new era side was the standout in the tag title match. Really? I do. Huh. I do think at some point they've got to give Hazuki something, even on yeah. these shows where like nobody's getting a great response. Like this was, you know, this was a, it's not a clap crowd, but it was almost reacting like a clap crowd for out, throughout this show. On any of these big shows, the one person that keeps getting vocal, audible chance is Hazuki. She's so good. She's so popular. And we talked about it with crowd cheering coming back. It was going to take away the veneer for all of these promotions of like, well, this person slide in this spot because they're not over enough. Well, now we can hear cheering and we can hear how over they are. I just, you know, I, I feel like they need to throw a bone to her more than like, hey, we're going to put you in a big spot like she. she she needs to, uh, you know, to come up big and get a big win. Like she didn't drop the fall here; it was Koguma. But still, uh, I'm ready for more out of Hazuki uh, from a booking standpoint than we're getting. Big time, big time. And you see the people that they they like and they see the future in. You know, Zumi, a great example of that. You know, from the video board to the theme to her outfits to everything, you know, and I think Ami Sorhe is like that. I think Mirai is like that, you know, as well too, but man, Hazuki is such a great fire plug to put into any situation. And again, maybe that's, it's my bias towards her. And I thought that's maybe why I thought her and Sorhe really stood out. But you know, bottom line is Hazuki really stood out and I'm not a big Koguma fan. You know, I never, you know, I just, she just doesn't have it for me, you know, and I think together they make a, a, a fine mid card tag team, you know, they're, they're better than the mod squad, you know, but it's, <laughs> yes, I think it's safe to say that 
Hazuki and Koguma are in fact better than the but, mods. But twice. but but are they better than the Kansas Jayhawks when you got a when you got a Dutch Mantel with Hazuki and you got a Koguma who's just like Bobby Jaggers? <laughs> I I will not take this Koguma slander. I again like she's of the people that are like in the high speed mix. I, I would say that she she's definitely lower down than, than others. But I still just go back to literally with the gravity. I, I still go back to when she first returned, how awful she was in her first couple of matches. It is insane how much she has improved and got back to a level that I did not think she would be back at when she returned after so many years uh, away. But yeah, I uh, I don't know. I, I'm very intrigued to see where this goes with Mariah and Amisore. This the reaction to this, and again, it's very good, but the reaction to this, I think it, it again plays back to, as we talked about, that finish, the count-out finish of 7-Up didn't do them any favors, and the only way I could defend that as a booking decision, if it was in fact a booking decision, would have been, as we talked about, if you went right back to that match and you had that as you know a main event or a semi-main at a relatively big show like this, and you had Mariah and Amisore get the title win, uh, you know, defend the titles and get it, it win it in a more definitive manner. There's nothing I see going for that makes me think we're going to be getting that match uh, anytime soon, if at all. Yeah, the, as far as the rest of the crowd goes, um, so, sorry, you know, I I never want to see another fisherman's buster suplex with a bridge out of the corner off the top rope ever again. I, I just I don't. She's the most flexible woman i mean that bridge is it, it's like we've talked about before like tam nakano and her german suplex bridge or other people the Sauriano bridge on a german or on a fisherman it does not like it does not look like a human being should be able to do that she's it's on her ridiculous. shins i mean it's just she's it's something else and i because I, she can do it she she's gonna do it, but man, I I cringe sometimes when when those bridges happen. But you know, the, I'll say this: the straight jacket choke, you know, bridge I thought was great. That was getting more towards the end of the match, but uh, you know, really, other than that, Julia and Micah against Utami and, and Saya, this was this was good. You would look at it on paper and go, man, I got to see this. Nah, not necessarily. It was a really good 16-minute match, but there was a reason it was placed where it was because there was a lot left on the table, and a lot of it had to do, you know, it was mostly Micah and Saya and Julia and Utami paired off for the most part. So I thought... Again, there was Micah's, you know, pronouncing or announcement afterwards and, and chucking the mic down and and all that, that that took place after it. But there was, you know, as far as a match goes, as impressive as everybody, as much as we love everybody in this match, you know, this isn't the one that you have to see from the show. Yeah, and, and like you said, it wasn't positioned to be. I thought it was very good. The, the, the main thing coming out of it, though, and it's something that, that you know Stardom is pushing, if you go on their English-language Twitter, there's sort of a, a super cut of what's happened kind of on the tour, both leading up to and after this. Uh, the dissension in the ranks among uh, Queen's Quest and Utami Hayashishida losing matches and Sayaka Mitani not being happy about that. So there's a direction they're going. It's hard to see exactly where they're going right now. I tell you what, Saya's going to lose that one, and I know they love Saya, but I hope they don't put it to a competition. Utami's winning this. Uh, uh, from a fan response, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do wonder, though, if we're looking at something happening with Utami 
leaving Queen's Quest, whether it be joining another stable or starting another stable of her own, as we've seen that a few times with with wrestlers in in recent months in stardom. But she should. You know, I would be I would be fine with it. I mean, she doesn't from a wrestling standpoint. She doesn't need a spark. She's great. She's great every time out. We saw it in the Fuad Chan tag. Uh, but from a a booking or positioning standpoint, she has been in a spot since she lost the red belt of just spinning her wheels. And I again, I, I have faith enough in the booking that there's a reason for that. Uh, and I feel like you know, two three months from now, if not sooner, we're going to be talking about and seeing uh, a very different Utami Hayashida, whether that uh, is um, in Queen's Quest or outside of Queen's Quest. I can have, you know, admittedly, for those who've listened to the show for a long time, I can have stable fatigue sometimes. But, you know, AEW showed this at the beginning, you know, with with the amount of trios units they have, with the amount of women that are under contract. You know, you can have a lot more groups and not necessarily have them be quote-unquote groups. Like, you can have God's Eye with three people in it or four with somebody who comes over once in a while, you know, you don't have to have five, six, seven deep necessarily, you know, anymore. So you can have your top stars with a couple of minions around them. I mean, not exactly to the level because you have so much talent. It can't be exactly what Mina Shirakawa's got going on right now with Club Venus, but you can maybe have a little bit more of that approach where it is one star and maybe you do have a 1A in some case, but, you know, you are selling the name and you're selling, you know, this is me and my faction and my people, almost kind of like what Minoru Suzuki, the tack they've taken with him and kind of the tack with just five guys and stuff like that. You know, there's an example with New Japan of you can have eight groups. You don't really think about it because you say the names when talking about them, but it's like you don't really realize how many factions you actually have until you lay them all out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, and I think it's, I think that's the way to go. Uh, as I was, just sort of as you were saying all that, I started daydreaming about a group, and maybe it's only a group of two, or maybe it's a group of three or four or five. I want a group headed by, co led by Tommy Hayashishida and Suzu Suzuki. With Oleg Bolton. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, yes, as the bodyguard. But I think um, that's that, that's there's the great there's a great example of something you could do like that, you know, where it's again, it's just three badasses or whatever, you know, whatever group <laughs> you want to call it, like, you know, dirty looks or something like that because of the glare they can all give you and the fact that they can do damn whatever the hell it's going to be. I, that's a perfect example of something like that. I just I want to see their entrance, which would be three of them come out. Utami gives Oleg the rose. And then Suzu just snaps the rose in half, throws it on a, like a bed of thumbtacks, and Oleg Bolton is sad. I, well, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say she was going to then take the rose out of his hand and either staple it or gusset plate yes. it to his forehead. Yes. There you go. I like that better. See you again. That's what we're here for. Things that will never happen. Things that amuse probably only us. Uh, things that are happening on the Stardom front. The next big show, Stardom Flashing Champions 2023, April 27th, Oda City General Gymnasium. Not quite a one-match show, but they are going all in on the Cosmic Angels uh, uh, explode, I guess you could say, as it's Cosmic Angels versus Club Venus. It's 
Uh, World of Sardom title versus Wonder of Sardom title, both belts on the line. Uh, one would think this will go to a time limit draw. You never know, but I, I don't see them uh, uniting the two belts into one. But it is Tam Nakano, Mina Shirakawa, champion versus champion. Yeah, I uh, I didn't know what to think about that when they did that at the end because it's like, huh. <laughs> You know, if you were you really want to establish Mina, boy, this would be the way to do it. But then, yeah, I mean, to me, the best thing that could happen as far as I would assume the promotion as far as Mina goes is she because this is kind of like when that's a point was, you know, I felt that there was there was a little vibe there of, well, I'm better than you. And, I'm you know, you are still who you are. And I see your little cute group and all this other nonsense and you cut your hair and cool, all that stuff. But, like, I'm still better than you. And, you know, if they could tell that story by going to a draw and having her, to me, that's the, to me would make the most sense. Now, it doesn't. Again, it it doesn't really benefit the other side of that equation, but then again, I don't know if it's supposed to really, you know, because again, what what where is you go ahead and unify the belts in the other direction? What do you get out of that? Yeah, I mean, it's unless again, you're for, getting rid of the belt because you are going to utilize the NJPW title more, but again, that it still doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, it, it, the only way this would make sense to be anything other than time limit draws if you're sealing the white belt. But I don't know why you would do Combine that. Combine them together, and now you have the pink belt. <laughs> well, there you go. Throw them in the washing machine, and they'll become, <laughs> yes. they'll become one pink belt. Um, but I don't know why you would do that with the amount of shows you're running, the amount of pay-per-views you're running, and the fact that you just drew your best crowd ever in Fukuoka running with the white belt as the main event. I, I just I, I no. can't see them getting rid of it. And even Tam, though, yes, Tam losing to Mina after – you know, it just – no, it just this doesn't that doesn't make any sense. No, and it might happen at some point when neither of them have the belts or when Mina doesn't have the belts, but yeah, I I don't see Tam Nakano losing the belt particularly given that we didn't see Julia losing, then they made the decision to put the belt on Tam with the idea that she's 35. You don't know how much longer she's going to stick around cuz she certainly has made noise in the past couple of years about, you know, thinking about retirement. It was sort of a now or never thing. You're striking while the iron's hot. She's over. You know, you've got the whole meltier deal and, you know, time may be running out. With all, all that being said, and those being the reasons why they cut Julia's title reign short to put it on Tam, I can't fathom any any scenario where they then cut her reign short right now. To me, while I don't necessarily think or hope this will be the traditional go to the end of the year, lose at the very last show of the year deal, to me, you want to ride this as hard as you can if you think this is the only chance you're going to have to have her as champion. You want to get as many big title defenses with her against whoever, whatever big matches you want to have. You want to get those out of the way and do those now. You don't want to cut it short. I, I don't mean to take a non sequitur here, but... Uh, I'll be shocked. Uh, you never have. <laughs> when is the Mayu Iwatani movie coming out? Uh, well, they j I believe I actually just saw a story today on Twitter that the the actor who is playing Mayu Iwatani um, started training, like started actual wrestling. Oh, so we're a long way off then. Yeah, I okay. think so. I mean, I thought that I, which kind of threw me because I thought the idea was that movie was coming out sometime this year. But then I saw that story. And so I don't know if they're waiting till the end to shoot all the wrestling scenes or what. But if that is, in fact, the case and that wasn't an old story, if that's a new story from today, 
uh, that would lend credence to the fact that, yeah, this it's not coming out imminently. Well, I kind of hope they do take their time with it, because that'll tell me at least that it's not just some slapdash production if they're getting yeah. like, okay, wait, we got five days. Let's go. We got to wrap it yeah. up and go. <laughs> yeah, go hit a dropkick. Yeah, craft services is, you know, whatever you decide to bring. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know that that it'll be interesting to see how all that plays into it as far as how long you know Mayu holds the IWGP Women's Championship. There is no IWGP Women's Championship on the Flashing Champions pay-per-view at the end of the month. The other title matches are, as we mentioned, Mariah and Amisore against Natsuko Tora and Momo Watanabe. High-speed title three-way, Izumi, Saki Kashima, and Fukigen Death. It's a little weird in that we've seen, you know, Azumi defend against these people already. We saw, you know, the, the really fun, like, five-minute match that Azumi had with Saki Kashima uh, for the high-speed title at Korokin. I believe it was last month or the month before. Azumi's title reign, um, it doesn't, the, the matches are so great that you're not, like, clamming for her to be over. But you look at this, and it's people she's defending against the title, or defended the title against before. Like, is she losing here? I guess they could put it on Saki Kashima. She, we've talked about for all the reasons why her matches are always just super entertaining because she could lose or win against anyone at any time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It'd be kind of a weird way to end the title reign. Yeah, I think she does win, but it's what the challenge is next because you're getting, you are getting to the point where. What else can she do with that title? And again, yeah. could, it, could it benefit somebody else? I, I, I don't know. You know I still but... think eventually, whether it be beating Izumi or someone else, May Sarah will have that title. Yeah. I, I, I was convinced it would be Starlight Kid, but she's announced that she has graduated from challenging for that belt. So it's not going to be her. Uh, I mean, I don't know. We haven't seen a whole lot of uh, out of uh, Miyu Amasaki that would make me think she's high speed necessarily. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of other people down the line um, that could win the title from her. It's it's kind of hard to see who would win if it's not going to be, you know, Saki Kashima uh, taking the belt from her here. I don't I know. I demand Ram Kaichao win it and then turn it into the <laughs> slow speed title. It, it, we've seen more ridiculous. <laughs> We're Actually, having the downshift title. <laughs> yes, there you go. It would certainly be literally a change of pace. Uh, All matches against Fukikin Death. That's yeah. <laughs> so the the other title match on the show, uh, Kyrie Natsupoi and Sariano defending the Artists of Sardom trios titles for the first time against Julia Thekla and Mai Sakurai, who continues her ridiculous but also ridiculously entertaining gimmick of I don't know high society Kentucky Derby attendee looking down <laughs> upon all the. Uh, the ugly old men that attend the shows, that's uh, uh, that certainly is something. There's also a very uh, it's interesting, I guess, in terms of the who's on the teams. It's Micah, Suzu, Suzuki, and May Sarah uh, taking on uh, Nanai Takahashi, Yuna Mizumori, and Hanako, the, uh, the young wrestler in stardom. So that's uh, an interesting grouping, I guess, on both sides. I'll tell you what, Micah out of DDM. And with Suzu Suzuki in a group and with some other people like Micah, Utami and Suzu as a group. I mean that I wouldn't fall over shock. Like, you know, I I wouldn't. And I, that's, this is one of those matches that again, on, on paper, boy, I like this. Let's see, you know, how much time it gets and everything. But this is like one of those, I don't want to call it a throwaway match because we don't know exactly if there is going to be anything that comes out of it. But you know, as far as putting six names, you know, in a match because they need to be on the show, 
I like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's intriguing for sure. Uh, the only other really intriguing thing for me on the show is just the presence, as you mentioned, of Ram Kaijo and Mike Ozaki, who we saw as two thirds of the team, uh, along with uh, Maya Yukihi, Rebel Enemy, uh, in the uh, the trios tournament a couple months ago. They are taking on Shuri and another one of the rookies, Aya Sakura. Um, I guess that does also lead into, if you wanted to briefly talk about Pro Wrestling Noah, the fact that Maya Yukihi showed up again in Pro Wrestling Noah. She was on their big show um, last week, and coming out of that, uh, we're hearing more and more rumblings in Pro Wrestling Noah of the potential of a GHC Women's Championship. Uh, why not? You know, again, I I don't I don't know. Can't really bash the idea. Can't really be for it. You know, it depends on what the plan is. It feels to me that you're doing it because everyone's got a women's title, and you know every so. But you don't have to. You don't. You don't have to have a women's title. You know, you're not stardom. You're not New Japan. You're not. You know, again, I. You don't necessarily have to do it, but we'll we'll see. You know, this is just kind of where they're at. I mean, look at how many belts are in Noah, for heaven's sakes. Look how many belts are everywhere. So I'm not against it, but I, I don't – I'm not looking at this as, a you know, a big deal or, you know, anything earth-shattering unless, you know, until I hear some sort of announcement as such. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, and you have to also see that, like – they have more more of a commitment than just like booking Maya Yukihi and, and Natsu Samire, yeah. you know, on a show here or there. That said, when you look at the non-stardom, non-Tokyo Joshi Pro landscape of women's wrestling in Japan and how uh, hard times it is, so to speak, for so many of those promotions, you look at Ice Ribbon as one example, being you know just such a just an absolute shell of what they were a few years ago, and just kind of across the board, you know, if something like this does actually you know come to pass and give more high high profile opportunities and better paying opportunities to you know a lot of really good wrestlers that are just kind of stuck in promotions that are are you know flagging at best right now um you know they're that are just really stuck in quicksand and and sinking uh you know i'd like to see that but again like i have to see a an indication that they you know that they would be looking to book, you know, more than just, you know, Natsu Samire or, or Maya Yukihi. And I like, you know, I like them particularly Maya Yukihi, but there are other people out there that would be available to be, you know, in, let's say, a tournament um, if they're going to do that. Hopefully they would go that route of actually bringing in top-notch, top-level wrestlers. Well, look, to me, you could just get rid of Keito Kiyomiya right now and uh, save some of that money and spread it out around everybody. That man is dead stock right now. He's, <laughs> he's not really, but boy, in the uh, the story of Japanese professional wrestling, man, he, he kind of is. Yeah, it's it will be fascinating to see how or if they, what the idea is to build him back up. And obviously he had the concussion, which kept him from being able to go accompany KG Muto to WrestleMania weekend, but there's not a whole lot really positive happening right now. Uh, again, we talked about sort of fantasy booking, the idea that with him not having the championship, he ends up, um, you know, he ends up in the G1. He gets his win back over Okada and it continues that, uh, that path. But yeah, I mean, you look at, 
the show at Sumo Hall last week, and he's an afterthought in a six-man tag semi-main event that's uh, you know all about the return of Go Shiozaki and then ends up being all about the return and the reuniting of the Axes group. Homies are back. They're together. <laughs> Uh, uh, that being Goshiozaki and Katsuhiko Nakajima. So it, it's pretty wild to say it. But yeah, right now, Kaito Kiyomiya is just, he's just kind of existing. He's everyone's punching bag. Yeah. Even down to the fans. And I don't know if this is, you'll, you know, you'll can hit me up and let me know if they have edited out the woman who got in the ring during the show on April 29th that demanded that Kiyomiya give more, that demanded if he is Noah's savior to show it. And at first... Wait, this was an actual thing? I somehow completely missed this. Oh, yeah, just go... What's that dark... Uh, what's the uh, the name of the uh, Dark Flosion uh, Twitter? Because it's been taken down by a lot of places because, you know, that's how things work, you know? <laughs> so the the clip has been taken down, but I know it's still up. On that Twitter, where it shows, so this happened in the match. You're saying this happened in the it match. It happened right Oklahoma. after the introductions on April 29th on that so show was... with Amakusa and, uh, and Sean Legacy. Sean Legacy against against Congo. Yeah, and that's and they the woman got into the ring. Show us a stronger Noah. You are the savior at Noah, and they took her out. Now, I know Noah has said this was not an angle. This was not a work. This was a woman who was just, let's say, passionate, uh, you know, maybe to the point of unbalanced. Well, we've all seen it at wrestling shows if you've been old enough, you know, but uh, that's what they're saying. You know, boy, I'll say this, under the circumstances, and I hate to say this, you know, but if the woman obviously is okay and everybody was okay and everybody, you know, he, again, there was no incident, you know, no no craziness that happened. You, you talk about fortuitous blood. There yeah. was a fortuitous situation with a fan that, considering the position he's in, as we because again, what was also announced this week, or at least announced since the last time we did a show, was the All Japan New Japan Noah show getting together in his part in that and Okada's reaction and all that sort of stuff. So. I, 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 it was in, in some ways it was perfect timing if it was not a work and they are saying that it was not a work. So and all you could say is again, because scary situation then in that case, but ended up being a, again, a good, quote unquote good one for the position that he's in right now, which is supposedly Noah's savior who keeps dropping the ball or getting the ball beaten out of his hands or having an old legend come and slap it out of his hands or Nakajima slaps it, you know, him in the unconsciousness or, or whatever it is. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't run from it given how you described it. And given the fact that no one was actually harmed and how much it plays into the yeah. story they're telling uh, to your point, as far as the all together again, show June 9th, uh, will be on New Japan World pay-per-view. I assume maybe it'll also be Russell Universe pay-per-view, um, but it will be a, a separate non. Like we've seen, we've talked about a lot this year, whether it be the All uh, All Star Junior Festival, some of the Takataichi Mania shows, uh, pretty much anything that's not an already established New Japan tradition, they're putting as separate pay-per-views on New Japan World. It will have English language commentary. Uh, the main event, as you mentioned, Kaito Kiyomiya teaming with Kento Miyahara and Hiroshi Tanashi. So three aces 
uh, to varying degrees, taking on Kazuchika Okada, Yuma Aoyagi, and Keno. What a trio that is from a personality standpoint. Kiyomiya says he has got to be the one. He 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 respects the other two, but I, I'm paraphrasing here. But basically, is going into this match. I gotta. I it's got to be me. We'll see. Well, We'll see. We'll see. That has not worked out too well for him in kayfabe so far. Maybe this will finally be the time. Uh, we also have another six-man tag. Uh, the night or the uh, LIJ trio of Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Bushi taking on, uh, I guess you could actually call it an all-Japan trio at this point, even though Yuji Nagata is under contract to, to New Japan. He's the Triple Crown Champion. He's teaming with Suwama and Yuma Anzai, which really, like, you might look at this and think, well, it's, you know, it's Naito and Suwama or whatever, but the, the the real story of this match coming out of the All Japan uh, Champion Carnival final shows we get to see Yuma Anzai and Tetsuya Naito go at it one more time because they were awesome in the ring together uh, at that uh, that All Japan show where I think everyone looking at it was thinking more about it being Naito and Kento Miyahara, but the story ended up being Naito and Anzai. Yeah, and, and Naito getting the win over Anzai with the Destino, but it's you know not like it was an easy thing to do. I thought that was a Good use of, you know, again, that was a good match. I was kind of like, you know, I didn't really think much about it until the show happened. It's like, well, Naito and Bushi and okay. And then it was like, man, I kind of surprised myself there because I went backwards. I watched the Ishino-Tioch match first and then went to the semi-main. And it was like, man, that was really, really good. It was. And your point, very dead on about the fact that uh, Naito had to use Destino to put away uh, and I, he tried using the Boston Crab like he always <laughs> likes to use to put away New Japan Young Lions, but he had to hit the Destino on Anzai. It's a great use of Naito uh, yeah. to show in all Japan that like Anzai is above, you know, your normal young rookie wrestler and that a star had to really go all out to beat him. Uh, the other match announced so far for the All Together Again show is Yoshihashi, Hiroki Goto, and Tomohiro Ishii against Masa Kitamiya, Daiki Inaba. And Yoshiki Inamura, the thing I'm most excited about this match is we get Yoshihashi against Muscles Yoshihashi, <laughs> that being Daiki Inaba. I, I'm completely, I'm fine with that. I, you know, before we take the, the hard turn into the carnival and, and a couple other things before we wrap up, just one more thing on Noah, or just a couple things on Noah. First of all, Keno, speaking of things on social media, I woke up one morning and I was doing stuff and then I saw this picture of like what looked to be Keno in a plastic bag yes. in the rain with just and again it's it's the hair and the look on the face and then immediately after that and thank god I saw the regular picture first all of the memes started to come out <laughs> what a cartoon character he is you know He's... not only in Noah but in Dragon Gate as well too all know. Japan now as well is holding tag titles yeah. in all Japan and Dragon Gate I love yes. it I love it I love I I just uh, that whole Congo stable is fantastic and you know the six man with <laughs> again they just they look perfect Keno Nakajima and Soya are perfect together i think i just well they were no more nakajima with them but yes well that's well yeah they 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 were but i mean I, again that was it was that was awesome so other than well, that keno, keno is just he's just like you said he's a cartoon character that's also a great wrestler he's <laughs> just he's so high strung in such a ridiculous way with no self-awareness which is what makes it so great and <laughs> They did the whole thing on the All Japan show where 
Voodoo murders, beat him down. They put him in a body bag, but leave his head exposed. And then the next day he's out. Is there, that like what it was? Said, okay. Yes. The next day he still is in the body bag with just his head out, cutting this unhinged Keno promo. Even in the better. Rain. It's amazing. He he is in some ways he's one of the best wrestlers in Japan. But from a character standpoint, he is in 2023 by far the MVP. Uh, from that perspective, and he's everywhere. He's one half of the Twin Gate champions, one half yeah. of the, champ, the the double tag champs in all Japan. Hayata Ninja Mac was was pretty good. Uh, Hayata got the victory there. Hideki Suzuki and Io del Dr. Wagner Jr. I really liked that. I thought that was awesome. It, Io, it Io was Io slow Dr. starting, Wagner. boy. <laughs> well, that's Hideki Suzuki. I, True. I love Hideki Suzuki. I also feel like he exists solely to remind me how much more I like Zack Sabre Jr. I feel like that's the same thing for Timothy Thatcher as well. But when this got going, I thought it was really good. Uh, Eode Dr. Wagner Jr. has improved so much from when we first started seeing him in Noah. Um, I, when he first got the national title, I was just like, well, can't wait till he loses it. And now I, I not minded the rain at all. Um, I just yeah, wanted I this, I think, to be better than what it was with the yeah. size, with the the style. Because again, I like Wagner more than some people, but it was like, man, I was a lo- I wanted this to be more than it was, and maybe that was just my expectations. I'll tell you what, I enjoyed it a lot more than the GHC tag title match. Saxon Huxley and Timothy Thatcher, the new GHC tag team champions. If you've never seen Saxon Huxley before, we've talked about like. Bargain basement, uh, bruiser Brody ripoffs that have made their way through Japan for like 30, 40 years. Uh, it's not quite Gianni Valletta, but <laughs> wow, I'm not wow. feeling it. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it doesn't bother me, I guess, because you got to do something with the unit. You know, it only makes sense to, but I just, I don't know. To me, it just, I like Timothy Thatcher a lot. I don't like this GLG group, at least. I'm not all in on it yet. And, you know, again, Sugiyara and and Taniguchi, it's not like they need to have the titles or anything like that. But, again, this this, Huxley and Thatcher really aren't going to do a whole lot for me, at least right now. Yeah, well, if they were in GLG, if particularly Timothy Thatcher's in GLG, that would be terrifying. <laughs> well, he, he is. He's a good-looking guy. He's, a, he's got that good-looking tooth gap, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, I just, I don't know, just not feeling it. The rest of the show, it was a show. Um, it was a long show, 14 matches when you, uh, you factor in bonus tracks. Sumo Hall, 2,700 fans. I guess you couldn't have really expected it to... Uh, to draw much more than that. The main event, Jake Lee and Naomichi Marafuji. It was really good. And I, again, I preface this by saying I like Jake Lee, but man, Marafuji's shoulders and back must have been very, very sore after this. He, uh, he's not what he was before. His knees are shot. He'll never be the guy from the mid 2000s, the early 2000s. But man, when needed, he can pull out a big match performance still, and he 100% did that here with Jake Lee. Why are Jack Morris and Anthony Green better-looking guys? I mean, I think we need to get back to that. No, or no, we don't need to get back to that. Well, I'll it's just... also Anthony Green shares a missing front tooth situation uh-huh. with uh, with Timothy Thatcher. I think it's just the long hair 
Um, they, you know, they might actually even be the same guy. They've got the hairy chest. They've got the missing tooth. Have we seen them in the ring together? You know what? We never have, although I have seen Anthony Green uh, when he was still doing the retrosexual gimmick. And I can tell you this, not Timothy Thatcher in the ring, exactly, at least at that point. But <laughs> I think you're I think you are overstating the wide back and lat spread of Naomichi Marafuji to lift Jake Lee up on his shoulders in a fireman's carry and take him to the promised land in this match. I thought Jake Lee did a very, very good job here, and I thought, now granted, I thought Marafuji was really a whole lot of the reason for that too, but I thought this was the perfect second defense for Jake Lee after the Nakajima match. I think he did show more. I think just because Marafuji's a better opponent, you know, size-wise for Jake Lee, the fact that when Lee goes into almost like a fog kind of look on his face where he's just existing and, you know, he's still involved in the match, but he's not emoting like Marafuji playing off of that was perfect. The fact that he's got the crowd and they know what to react to with Marafuji. I thought the whole thing was really good for Jake Lee over 25 or 26 minutes. I thought it went too long. Doesn't surprise me. I say that about a lot of matches, but this to me was the most sound matchup to me you could have made. And what Lee needs to work on because he's got to look, people do like him, you know, women, I guess, especially do like him. Why would they not? Again, it's the good look tall. He's not super defined or anything like that, but there are times when his devious face his you know kind of benevolent you know just that we're not benevolent but the you know kind of he gives a smirk at some points in the match there's nothing there there's like boredom there there was a spot where oh god I, it was after the face face wash kicks uh that that marafuji was delivering where it just like the sequences after that were like you know, that's the difference between you. You know what? Go back to the, the match before that with Goshi Ozaki. You know, they had some big shoes to fill at the time and, and was it really had a, you know, a hill to climb upwards. And Jake Lee doesn't necessarily have those types of things that Goshi Ozaki was trying to go through. But like you, to me, you see the difference between those two guys as far as being the top of the company Lee's got to do a better job emoting sometimes. I think he's got to do a better job looking like he's into everything. When it's time to move fast, he does a really good job. But, you know, people hit Sonata with the he's not emoting face or what his, you know, iron, you know, the granite jaw stare is more effective. And, you know, is far more accepted by the fans than to me sometimes where Lee is just, it, it's something, it's almost like you, you flip the light off for a second. Well, if you can't, if you emote badly, then you shouldn't emote. And I feel like that's what's going on with Jake Lee. I, again, I like him, but I think he's a one gear wrestler and it stands out more when you're on the top of the car than it does when you're in a tag team or you're in the middle of the pack. Um, well, again, much, again, much stood out much more and this was my concern with him was he's going from 
a bigger fish in a smaller pond to now a same size fish in a little bit of a bigger pond. But, you know, again, it's, you know, can you make enough ripples and they're giving him everything to, to make it ripple. And again, this was the perfect second match and I'm not throwing him into the bin or anything like that. I'm still, you know, very bullish on him, especially again with the position that Kiyomiya's in and stuff like that. I mean, you need Lee to hit and they're obviously trying to make that happen. But again, there are times where you're never, you're not going to have Marufuji all the time. So then what? And again, you to Nakajima in some ways, I looked at it as, you know, Nakajima can be sometimes much bigger than the rest of the room, you know? And so I gave him a little bit of a pass on that with Marufuji. It's like, you know, again, there are times where, you know, you got to make me believe that you're Okada or you're even Kiyomiya or a, a Miyahara or guys like that who, again, know how to keep you in. And again, the baby faces and all of those cases, but still, there's plenty of examples out there. Naito being a great example of one, if you're going to kind of be... Again, he's a good person to look at when it comes to to, to facials and things like that. It, it, to me, if you're Jake Lee and that type of character, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with any of the, anything that you just said. I think to me, Jake Lee, he's again, I feel like in ring for a guy who's wrestling these long of matches, he doesn't have the extra gear, and he's caught in between on who he wants to be as a character. Is he the brooding guy? Is he the smirking guy? Is he the tough guy? Is he the guy that's the underdog? Is he the guy that's the dominant guy? I don't, it doesn't seem like he's 100% figured that out yet. And so it's always strange when you see a guy as the top guy in a company still trying to figure those things out. It will also be interesting to see who he goes on to wrestle and defend against because, you know, he, the one thing he had in All Japan was he could pretty much guarantee every two or three months he was going to be having a big match with Kento Miyahara. And he was always going to look really good in the ring with Kento Miyahara. He doesn't have that here in Pro Wrestling Noah, so we'll see where that goes going forward. We do have coming up uh, uh, this weekend as we record this, the first uh, reuniting of Axes as an actual tag team with Goshi Ozaki and Katsuhiko Nakajima taking on Keno and Manabu Soya at Corican Hall. Uh, very quickly, Mike, because we are like almost two hours into the show, but we do need to at least... <laughs> Just touch on because we've referenced it. We have to fulfill our promise to talk See, a little bit. Whenever you talk about hockey, take it back to a show from <laughs> 2006. But the uh, the All Japan Champion Carnival final shows we talked about uh, did a very good number. And granted, they had a lot of help um, in terms of the, the people that were booked on the show. But 2,400 fans for All Japan at Otis City General Gymnasium. Very good uh, the main event of the show, we, we referenced it earlier, Shotaro Ashino defeating T-Hawk in the final of the Champion Carnival. I thought this was a really, really good match. Maybe not quite to the level of a few of the other big matches we saw across different promotions this week, but I thought Ashino in particular looked great. Uh, it's always funny watching T-Hawk in big matches nowadays because he's someone who clearly someone told him a year or two ago, you don't emote enough. You don't interact with the crowd enough. And now he's gone so far to the opposite direction where, like, he'll hit a move and then he'll look out to each side of the ring. He'll walk to each side of the ring. He'll, like, he's trying hard to uh, to be more of an engaging wrestler than he was before. Unfortunately, coming out of this, Shotaro Ashino broke his arm. So he's out. He will not be challenging uh, Yuji Nagata for the All Japan Triple Crown later in the month. 
Uh, he nominated Yuma Anzai to take that title shot. It sounds more likely that it's going to be T-Hawk uh, coming off of losing the champion carnival. will get the title shot against uh, Yuji Nagata. Uh, we talked at some length already about uh, Tetsuya Naito and Bushi against Kento Miyahara and Yuma Anzai. Another great performance for Anzai. Uh, and we talked about as well, uh, coming out of the six-man tag, uh, Keno ending up in a body bag, which is going to be leading to the Keno, uh, the the Keno and uh, Manabu Soya uh, defending the All Japan uh, World Tag Team Titles against Suama and Kono uh, later on down the line later this month in Noah, even though it's for the All Japan uh, Tag Team Titles. Should be awesome. At least we'll be entertaining, more than entertaining enough. That's for sure. If Kono is on the apron, particularly, <laughs> yeah, it's not. Not a big fan. His attribute is tall. That's about it. Um, We've seen a lot of that in Japan over the years, too, haven't we? Yes, yes, that is absolutely true. Uh, We also had Naruki Doi against Dan Tamara. I thought maybe Tamara would win the title. Uh, This is for the World Junior Heavyweight title. He did not. Naruki Doi wins. Uh, Atsuki Oyagi comes out afterwards, so it looks like maybe he'll get a shot coming up and win the title back. Uh, and then the only other thing really of note, to me at least, was we had uh, Minoru Suzuki and Hokuto Omori defeat Yume Oyagi and Takao Omori. Uh, Gotch-style pile driver there with Suzuki. So while he's not a regular regular in all Japan, we're continuing to see him uh, teaming with Hokuto Omori there while he also was a part of the strong-style stable uh, in uh, in New Japan. I You know, I don't know if, if they did do something with an Aoyagi or an Anzai or somebody to have a playoff against T-Hawk, that that doesn't screw up something down the line that they don't want to do. And you just had Anzai lose to Naito. I mean, I don't know. I I don't like the idea of just the default, you know, to T-Hawk, although T-Hawk and Yuji Nagata is going to be one hell of a match. I'm sure it will be. I mean, again, I like watching T-Hawk. I do. I know what you're saying as far as him emoting. You know, I, I just, he's he's really good. And I thought Shatara Shino looked great, you know, and I thought the matchup was great. So, you know, the rolls to get out of the ankle lock at the end, you know, until those reversals ran out. I really thought that it was, I really thought it was good stuff. So, you know, well, and it sucks that he's not going to be able to get the title shot after because I sure as hell coming out of this, I don't know what you thought, but I thought, well, okay, Ashino's winning here, and then he's finally going to win the Triple Crown beating Yuji Nagata. Well, I mean, it, he should still be. Somebody should be. Again, it, it depends on how long they keeps him out for. But, like, to me... I don't think a Luger is going to pop up. I mean, who is it? Anzai or AOI? I mean, you can start making that play, but it's like, you know, Flair, I'm going to wait for Sting. You should probably go ahead and wait for Ashino. You know, he just, again, the carnival should still mean as much as it possibly can. For the most part, it has. So, again, this, uh, how else, again, how else are you going to jumpstart it any better than defeating Nagata and everything that goes with that and him? Again, him being the new again holder of all Japan, or at least you know somebody to help Miyahara, because I know his shoulders and legs have been tired from carrying that place for years. Yeah, yeah, and that's we talked about that for years. The the never ending search to find a one A one B for Miyahara. It certainly seems like Anzai will eventually be that, if not more. Ashino, yeah. 
Um, but no, Ashino, I mean, he was great. The crowd was behind him. You know, that's something you always wonder about. He particularly looks legit, with... too. And that's the yeah. thing is, to me, he, he really, the whole presentation, how he carries himself, it, to me, he's just, he, he feels legit. He feels legit and feels like he's ready, um, you know, which is, it's, it's a good thing because all Japan is, you know, again, it's always the Kento Miyahara show for the last four or five years. And so if someone not only, if they look the part, they feel like they're ready and the crowd is taking them as such hopefully uh, hopefully it won't be out too long and what was probably the plan will be the plan going forward um plan right now is quickly talk about two other big matches and then get <laughs> get out of here uh if you have not had a chance to watch yet uh the uh the yuji okabayashi versus yuya aoki match from big japan's big show at uh, yokohama budokan Go out of your way to watch it. It may honestly be out of all these matches we're talking about. It might be for me, other than uh, Natsupoi and Mina Shirakawa, it may have been my favorite match uh, from you know this entire golden week. Uh, Aoki, you know the whole story of him you know, coming up from being a junior heavyweight, going heavyweight last year, getting this title shot. Uh, obviously, also him being so influenced stylistically by Shinjiro Otani was another layer to this match as well. Uh, unbelievable strikes down the stretch, just some disgusting slaps. Of course, we had a few headbutts because it's 2023 and you have to do that. Uh, but Aoki finally getting the win, beating Yuji Okabayashi and winning uh, the Big Japan Strong title. A great scene, a great moment. Uh, as an aside, whenever I see Okabayashi, all I think is, man, if that guy was in a promotion that had more eyes on it, he would be thought of exactly the same way that people think of Tomohiro Ishii and Shingo Takagi as this just like bruising workforce that had or workhorse I should say that has great matches with everyone no matter what promotion, uh, no matter what the situation, tag singles, whatever it is. Uh, I don't think he'll ever leave Big Japan. He's pretty deep into his career at this point, but man, he's just one of those guys you would love to see uh, get a bit more recognition than he gets. You know. Sekimoto and Okabayashi earned their names among hardcores and people, you know, a long, long time ago. They came around now. I could see people being too tribal about everything and just saying they're too short. Oh, Jesus. That's, yeah, who knows? I mean, honestly, I, I... think about that. Because if Ishii, again, didn't have all that goodwill built up and we were looking at this guy trying to reinvent himself, you know, back 10, we're at now, a dozen years ago now. You know, would he have gotten the ability to have all those matches or would he have been, again, put down, put down, put down enough where people go, oh, well, listen to the crowd. He's too short. He's this. He's that. Actually, yeah, it's I more mean, from an American point of view, you know, looking I, at that I would too. Say, but, yeah. You know, uh, it's I just mean, who, to me, it's like I can I can see people doing that again. You know, look at look at some of the response that he got when he came over. Look at some of the response that Minoru Suzuki got from people. That were just like, I don't get it. Like, well, you know what? Of course you don't. Yeah, I definitely think there's a point to be made that American audiences would not get Okabayashi right away, at least visually. But man, like that guy just his ability to and it's always his matches too are like you it's almost in some ways like an Ishii match where you get half wave and two thirds away through and you're like, Oh, that's really good. And then the last five, six, seven minutes happen. You're like, oh my God, that was the best match I've ever seen. And you're also wondering how both guys are still alive. To me, it's just, I'll be interested to see how long Okabayashi can keep this level up because we've talked about before how 
mean, Daisuke Sakamoto was a great singles wrestler for a long time. And then at a certain point, just kind of hit the wall and can still be great in tags. But there aren't too many great Daisuke Sakamoto singles matches these days. And I wonder, you know, how long it'll take before, you know, just the the toll of all the punishment in these matches from Okabayashi, uh, you know, is too much for him to be able to have matches like this uh, on a regular basis. Uh, Only other thing, Mike, we should briefly touch on before my brain completely falls to pieces is... Uh, the Dragon Gate show, Dead or Alive again, another Golden Week show. Aichi Professional Gymnasium, uh, Madoka Kikta defeated Shun Skywalker to win the uh, to win the Open the Dream Gate title. I uh, I was not necessarily expecting this. Um, it was really really good. I still want to call him Hip Hop Kikta, but uh, he, he got the win. Rolling Lariat. I just love the Shun Skywalker act. We've talked about it before. He's just so ridiculous talk about a guy but, who looks like a star oh my god the second he, he is a star curtain, what am i talking about he, he looks like a star he's just so freaking weird as a character <laughs> and gets weirder uh it with each passing month but has kick-ass matches and i'm desperately hoping he comes back to the states at some point so i can see him live that was great i mean i i thought i thought they were were fantastic and i you know what gets forgotten about sometimes, or can be for more casual fans like me. Boy, those one you know, very rarely does the big one on one Dragon Gate match not deliver, you know? And I, I really you really see how well rounded these guys are. I used to think this all the time with, you know, Mochizuki or Doyle, whoever it would be, BB Hulk even, you know, wherever. You have that big one-on-one match, and it's it's a little slower than you know. Again, you, there's so much high speed and and so much great athleticism. You know, it's the work is a little different, and it is a little bit. You know, again, you still get big moves, you still get you know, you know, awe-inspiring things sometimes. But it's just there's such good matches, and this was just such a good wrestling match, and. And ends up being, you know, again, and I keep saying Kakuda, and I'll say Kakuda probably forever. I'm sorry, but like, you know, he held up to his end of the deal, winning this. And and Shun is just great. He's a star. And I, you know, again, I don't see it enough to know exactly what the plans are or anything like that. But it's like, you know, Yoshioka and Skywalker was great. You know, uh, Yamato and Kai was great. Aita and Skywalker was great. Pac and Ben K was great. It's just another in a long line of great championship title changes that Dragon Gate has had. Uh, again, a promotion that in my mind is still, you know, six mans and tag teams first and foremost. And I'm maybe, you know what? Maybe it's just a defense mechanism. Maybe it's got to be like that in my brain. So when I do, again, when I do have a chance to see it and I do see that great one-on-one match, I love it even more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And yeah, it, it's, it's just also, it's another example of the almost never ascending or never uh, ending assembly line of top guys that Dragon yeah. Age just continues to churn out. It's, it, it's crazy. We talk about other companies, we talk about New Japan, we talk about stardom, but Dragon Gate's ability just through how strong everything involved with their training is to just 
manifest guys out of thin air that within a year or two end up being legit great main eventers is uh, it's really not something you see anywhere else in the world. No, and because we don't talk about Dragon Gate a lot on this show, you know, again, because, you know, there were numbers that got floated out after Golden Week and everything. And, you know, again, Dragon Gate fans will throw the reminder out there, you know, for anybody who's listening, even if they're not listening, that, hey, you know, anybody can draw in Tokyo. We draw everywhere, and that's, again, that has been one thing that Dragon Gate, since we have started this show in 2006, they have a their own fan base, they have a unique fan base, and they have a loyal fan base. And regardless of what you think about the style or, you know, where those guys fit in the, you know, in the, in the New Japan, you know, shadowed world of Japanese wrestling, like... They are always going to keep chugging along, and we probably should cover them. We should probably talk about them more, you know, because the the shows again they they are so good, and there is so much talent there. But and again, you can only talk about so much. I mean, my God, look at it right now, two hours in. Yeah, you get me. You get me a twenty eight hour day, and I'll be on that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, with that, it's, I think we've probably talked about think, seven, yeah, eight, my nine, ten. Shot, different- my brain is shot. Yeah, your voice is shot. My brain is shot. The ability to formulate words usually always ends right around the two-hour mark. So let's close it out. We'll do as we always mention where else you can hear us or, or otherwise find us. Uh, Wrestling at Random, the podcast I do each and every week with our close longtime personal friend Jeremy Deemer. We are in between season four and season five right now. Uh, but if you are a supporter on our Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestlingatrandom, you are still getting brand new exclusive episodes each and every week. Uh, they have been listener patron requested each and every one of those. I feel like for the past several months, this week's show, the one that just went up yesterday, it is one of the most memorable episodes of WCW Monday Nitro, I believe from September 14th, 1998. That being the return of Ric Flair to WCW, the return of the four horsemen, this being at Greenville, South Carolina, also, Goldberg versus Sting on that show. Juventud Guerrero against Billy Kidman for the Cruiserweight title. A bunch of other wacky stuff as well. Uh, and if you have not yet listened to Wrestling at Random, or if you've only listened to it occasionally, don't forget, you can go to WrestlingAtRandom.com or search Wrestling at Random wherever you get podcasts. And there are, at this point, probably 120, 130 free episodes that you can go back and listen to. It's evergreen content, so if you've never listened to it, it's new to you. Uh, and yeah, it's us reviewing randomly selected wrestling shows across the board, stuff from Japan, stuff from, uh, from the UK, obviously a ton of stuff from the U S Mexico. It's all there and it's all there for you to listen to free wrestling at random.com. I do a show that is not random. It is very specific. It is the mid Atlantic championship podcast where I go week by week with the shows that are up on the WWE network and Peacock. And in some cases, like the newest episode, which is going to be dropping very soon for the general public, if you will, number 57, I believe that it is. It covers February 26, 1983. That show is not available on the network, but I have a copy of it. So I go ahead and review that show for you. And that moves me. And that that is Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast is free. You can check out all the archives. Go to Mid-Atlantic Pod. But... 
my Patreon for the Mid-Atlantic Championship podcast at uh, patreon.com slash midatlanticpod. You get a bunch of extras off of the show, and you are going to get a bunch of those off of the show that follows number 58, which covers March 5th, 1983. I will be, this is because I didn't have the show. I take a look and this was just going to be a quick whip around the territories to see what's going on. But the reality of the situation is Georgia championship wrestling is about to be sold. Uh, There's a lot that is going on because of the boom of cable and satellite And there's going to be a whole lot of changes that are soon to take place in the wrestling business. So I kind of take a look around at every single territory. I have audio off a bunch of shows. That's going to be for Patreon members only. But it is one of those projects which, if you are familiar with my Patreon, much like the big uh, Crockett Tag Team special that I did, much like I did with the Wahoo McDaniel deep dive on him becoming a heel in 1984, teaming with Tully Blanchard and feuding with Ric Flair and Magnum TA. I mean, these are great historical pieces where if you're just a wrestling fan, if you're a history fan, if you're just a fan of a good story, I think you'll really appreciate the work that I put into these. And it is a lot of work and only $5 gets you in the door over there. Other than that, of course, Wrestling Observer Live every day with Brian Alvarez. Find information on that over at WrestlingObserver.com. And the uh, what else am I forgetting here? Oh, yeah, the wrestling news every single day between 5 and 15 minutes long. Give you everything you need to know from around the world of wrestling. No conjecture, no rumor, no bias, no clickbait, no paywall. Just the wrestling news. And you can find that anywhere you find your favorite podcasts and also available on YouTube as well. So that stuff. BlackWrestling.com, their Patreon, Bulls in a China Shop, myself, Vin Forte, Cal, Fam, whoever jumps on for the episode, Downtown Tony Brown, watching videos, having fun over there too. So I suggest everybody go ahead and check that out whenever you get a chance. And you know what? I guess that's that. I have nothing left, so close this out. And in my big audio nightmare, we'll be back soon, but not too soon because whenever it starts, you'll still be listening to this one.